Hello again and welcome to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. As always, I'm your host, Roman Segal, and today I am interviewing the wonderful Mr. David Anderson, who is general partner at Ampersand Capital Partners. So unless you've been living under a rock for the last uh, five or six years, I suspect you would have come across the name of Ampersand uh, in one of the big deals that's happened in the sector, uh, one of the most uh, reputable and well-regarded private equity companies in the healthcare and more specifically pharma services space. And I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing David today. Um, genuinely, I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a couple of years and uh, managed to twist his arm and get him on today and for your uh, for your ears to to enjoy just a bit of background on david um he joined amazon in in 2010 and previously spent six years with covington associates which is a specialty investment bank focused on middle market m a in the healthcare sector i.e he went from the investment bank side to the pe side uh, prior to that he spent five years as a consultant for boston healthcare associates and his current and past board Positions have included Genitin, Aranta Bio, Stage Bio, Protegene, Bioclinica, Brahma Bio, Solero, and Vibologics. He holds a BSc from the University of Aberdeen, a PhD in Immunology from the University of Sheffield, and an MBA from Babson College. Impressive stuff. And in today's episode, we cover quite a lot of ground uh, with respect to not only David's background, but I wanted to get a bit of an insight into what a P company looks for in an acquisition target. So David, David talks about what only what some of the key attributes that he looks for, but also what puts them off a potential acquisition target. I then managed to get a bit of information about some of the big deals that Thermo, uh, sorry, that uh, Ampersand have done, including uh, Thermo's purchase of Brahma Bio a few years ago. So he gives some really good kind of behind the scenes of how that deal came about. Uh, one of the things that I really got from today was David talking about things beyond the dollars and the financial return. So listen out for that, which I thought was really interesting in, in some kind of softer things that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be important to a private equity company, but seem to be part of Ampersand's kind of DNA. Uh, we also cover what life is like on the board of several kind of fast growing companies in the advanced therapy space. Uh, and towards the, um, the end of the episode, you'll hear David giving some insight into where they expect their new 1.2 billion dollar fund that Ampersand raised to be invested in the future, which again gives a really good insight into where the market might be going. As always, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it very much. When I was out at CPHI and AAPS recently, had some fantastic feedback on the podcast. So keep it coming. And if you want to um, show your appreciation, then please go onto the app store and give us a kind five star rating. As always, thanks to my team um, who helped put this together, our producer Tony and Hannah and Gemma who and Roxana, who are the team behind the Molecule to Market podcast in addition to myself. And other than that, um, if you do one other thing today, please share this episode with anyone that you think would be interested, maybe a colleague or an industry contact. Make that day by sharing today's episode. Beyond that, please enjoy. Hey, David, welcome to the show. Hi, Roman. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, well, I did invite you. I invited you about two years ago, Dave, and it's taken me two years to get you on. So I am, I am absolutely delighted that we finally got you on and that we can bring your story and the kind of ampersand story to, to our listeners. So thanks. Uh, appreciate how busy you are for making the time. So let's start, David, at the start. Tell our listener a bit about your background. So how did you get into this space? How's your career developed and ultimately lead us on to kind of where you are today and, and what you do at ampersand? Sure. Um, yeah, thanks, Roman. Um, well, my career, I, I've been a healthcare guy, I guess, for a very long time. Um, Came coming out of the UK, um, studied immunology in Scotland, thinking I was going to be a cancer researcher, um, and then went on to do graduate studies in England in uh, cancer immunology. 
And really, that was my first foray into advanced therapies. I think my PhD was on gene therapy um, and cell therapy and, and really enjoyed that aspect of cutting edge science. Not particularly fond of, uh, of the lab work and uh, the wet lab bench work. Um, so that led me to a little bit of a career switch and moving to the United States back in the late 90s uh, to pursue a business degree and then starting in consulting and then investment banking, uh, working with biotech, pharma, med device, companies looking for uh, FDA approvals, companies looking for help with designing their strategy, companies looking for mergers and acquisitions. And that's what led me to end up with Ampersand Capital. Um, I, I showed the team at Ampersand a number of deals when I was a banker selling companies. Um, and I really was interested in what they were doing with buying and uh, growing companies and seeing them through to the next level. As a banker, you sell a company and the next day you walk away and you go on to the next project and you don't really see what the outcome is, what happens to the company, the strategy, the people, uh, you kind of walk away. Um, with Ampersand and with private equity, you get to continue that journey. You, uh, you invest in the company and you help drive the business with the management team to the next level. And that was very exciting um, and uh, caused me to uh, join Ampersand and work still in the healthcare field. And especially recently in the last five or six years, back to my scientific roots, back to you know, my studies at the University of Sheffield and gene therapy. I circled back into the advanced therapies, particularly with gene therapy and viral vector, uh, with a number of investments on the healthcare services side uh, in gene therapy. And that's one of Ampersand's core investment areas, um, contract manufacturing and drug discovery services for everything from small molecules through to advanced therapies and even medical devices. But my particular passion, I guess, from my undergrad days is still looking at the gene therapy and how that can apply to some pretty debilitating uh, diseases, including cancer. So I've kind of come full circle um, back to where I started as a fresh-faced undergrad at the University of Aberdeen. Fantastic. Uh, very concise um, way of summarizing <laughs> such a, an illustrious career. What One thing I want to rewind back to, you mentioned obviously you're moving from Scotland to the US, I think you said in the late 90s. What what prompted a move to the US? Was it just the a particular university or a degree that you wanted to do? Or was there always a desire to move in the US? And uh, spoiler alert for our listener, but you, you never went back to Scotland <laughs> and you've stayed in, in the US ever, ever since. Yeah, so it, it was it was more of a, you know, Ramon, you're, you're from the UK as well. And UK is a fabulous place. Um, but it can get a little small at times. And, you know, having spent growing up in Scotland and then spending some time in England, I decided that I needed to just try something a little different. Um, and I always thought that I'd move to the U.S. to do a postdoc because uh, there was a lot of activity going on here in the U.S. Um, and the idea of a postdoc was, was unappealing after my uh, three years spent in the lab. I didn't want to be in the lab anymore. So I decided to come over to the U.S. to pursue a business degree. Uh, I had every intention of, of coming over for a year, going back to Europe for my summer internship, coming back to the U.S. for my final year, and then eventually going back uh, to somewhere in Europe, uh, possibly Scotland, and resuming my life. But the reality set in when I came over here, and I saw and experienced the amazing amount of uh, research, development, investment into the healthcare sector, specifically biopharma. And it really opened my eyes to the fact that the U.S. is really leading the way in, in biopharma development. And if I wanted to make a career, I should probably stick around in the U.S. and not uh, go back to the U.K., I had no intention of, of making that permanent. Um, I thought maybe I'll give it a three or four years. I'll run out the, the visa and eventually I'll have to move back to the UK. Uh, and here we are uh, 25 years later and I'm still here 
Um, now a U.S. citizen, so I guess um, my plans took a, a hard left turn. But those were heavily influenced by the opportunities here in the U.S. Um, and I think that that that's really been sort of the mainstay of of developing a broader skill set beyond just gene therapy or beyond my cancer immunology scientific background here. It's a it's a very dynamic healthcare environment. Everything from reimbursement to uh, uh, patient advocacy to the R and D dollars that are put into um, uh, the just the wealth of of biopharma and scientific expertise here, it really has everything to offer and a great learning ground. Um, and I think one of the the things that is particularly exciting in the last several years is now that. Uh, the transatlantic um, opportunity set is much broader than it was when I left the UK. Um, I'm not sure how that happened or what were the driving forces, but we collectively at Ampersand see incredible opportunities in Europe um, in the last five to 10 years. Um, Very much kind of caught up or catching up with where the US is or was back then. So I think that as the world has developed and as I have developed in my career, I see a significant number of opportunities back in Europe, back in the UK. We've done a couple of deals in the UK. We're looking at a couple of deals now in Scotland, for example. Um, So again, just back to the theme of everything coming around full circle. The opportunity was here in the US in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, But now that opportunity has spread globally and there are you know significant opportunities now back in the UK I'll, I'll, I'll never move back um, permanently uh, my wife would kill me but um, uh, I think that it's it's heartwarming for me anyway to see companies coming out of the UK and developing in Scotland in particular that um, weren't there when I was a fresh graduate. Um, but really are a force now to be reckoned on the global stage. And Ampersand, with its European office and global reach, is is really looking hard at, at seeing if those are opportunities that we can invest in and help grow. Well, it's, it sounds like it's been a, a, you know, despite the hard left turn, it's been a, a good decision for you to spend most of your time over there in, in the US. And it also sounds... I mean, I couldn't agree more with the exciting things that are going on in the UK, in particular Scotland as well. And on your final point there around Ampersand, I think one thing I'm always interested in, I suppose, given our listener when we have guests like you on, David, is 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 what what a deal looks like. So, you know, every day all of us will see you know news alerts on Fiat and Endpoint and all these you know, news alerts around another deal has been done and a, a company A has bought company B and you guys are often involved in the kind of nuts and bolts of, of the, the deal. And you, you mentioned in your introduction that you were on the banking side and then obviously moved to the private equity side. You know, for some of our listeners that don't know how it works, um, just talk us through the typical structure or um, kind of how a deal comes about and, you know, you can use an example if you want to, but if you want to just keep it kind of general, that would be helpful just to kind of give our listeners a bit, you know, I suppose <laughs> behind the curtains of how a deal is done. That would be that would be fantastic. I'd like to say it's super complicated and that uh, we're the smartest guys in the room, but when you actually boil it down to the nuts and bolts, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's about finding the right opportunities that are matched with the right team and with people that you can work with and you can trust. And that's from both sides. At Ampersand, we work heavily with uh, founder entrepreneurs. So these are individuals or small groups of individuals that have built businesses from the ground up, bootstrapped them, and are looking for that next level of growth. And they've come to the realization that they could do it themselves, but they might be able to do it a little faster and a little better if they got a little help along the way. And that's where we come in. 
we do do banker auctions. And as a former M&A banker, um, we used to sell companies, put up the for sale sign. And we do look at those deals. And those are companies that we know are for sale because uh, they've hired a banker and they're out for sale. But really where our core focus has always been is finding those leading companies um, and building a relationship with those founders. And sometimes that relationship build can take years. Um, You don't just walk in and the founder turns around and says, oh, thank God you're here. I was just thinking about taking on an equity investor. Usually they have to be educated about it. They have to think about it. They have to develop their company for another year or so to get to the scale that we need to invest in. But the relationship is the most important thing because that's where the trust is built and that's where our industry expertise and our track record, we can really bring that to the forefront to show a founder or an entrepreneur that we bring a lot more to the table than just a bag full of money. Uh, Don't get me wrong, the bag full of money is important because that's what drives the business forward. But Equally, if not more important, is the expertise, uh, the knowledge, and the teamwork that comes along with a private equity investor. And David, just on that point, I'm guessing it's better for you guys to do a deal direct with a founder business as opposed to running and being involved in an auction process. You know, I suppose the auction process, by its very nature, drives. The price, drive the price up. Is that a fair assumption or is it not that clear cut? No, it, it is. I think that's very correct, right? That, that the auction process can drive the price up. What also an auction process does is it drives the timeline. So you get a company that is for sale and they have a process. They want to run this in the next three to six months and they want to have an outcome. And what that doesn't enable us to do is to really assess the business, assess the management team, and give the management team a chance to assess us as a potential partner. And that's why I I won't say that we are. You can you know, write a formula that says proprietary deals are more successful than auction processes. That's not always the case, but I think you can probably find a better deal or have a better chance of being successful by being able to circle one another, assess one another, and really understand the business before we write a check. And that comes from both sides. That's us assessing the the opportunity and also the founder entrepreneur assessing whether we are going to bring something of value other than a bag full of money. And that's very important for a good relationship going forward. Yeah, it's it's really interesting just to get your your insight in terms and your perspective on how you, what you guys look for and kind of it's funny you've said the word relationship several times, which again, one of my one of the things I, I suppose the reasons for getting you on, David, was to dispel I suppose some of the myths around private equity and it's certainly my experience is the relationship piece is so fundamental, but I think the assumption around people is that it's all about the money and it's it's got nothing to do with the, the softer side of things which has not been my experience whatsoever so let's you know if we've got a, if there's a founder listening to this or you know a ceo thinking actually it's a good it could be a good time to you know build a relationship with it with a private equity company like yourself how do you guys assess a business like is there a handful of things that you typically look at because i assume not only are you guys out there looking for potential acquisitions, but you're also, sometimes they come knocking on your door. But I suppose what, what are the, some of the key attributes that you look for in, in, a, in a healthcare business that, you know, particularly in our, the outsourcing space that would make it an appealing option for you guys? I think the first criteria is that it needs to be in a market that we know we have expertise in that we can bring value to the table. We get a lot of opportunities that are very good opportunities, I'm sure, that get brought to us but are outside of our core areas. And those are ones that we're very quick to take a pass on. Because, like I said, the the bag full of money is the easy part. The expertise and the help along the way is where we really add value. And if we don't understand the space, we will be the first to raise our hands to say that we're not the best people to partner with on this. Um, Now, 
we'd be happy to partner with someone else that has that expertise and then we can learn and that's how we've branched out into new areas. But to jump into something that's completely alien to us uh, is probably a, a more riskier approach. But what we look for is a, a market that we understand and a market that we believe has some tailwinds behind it that are going to drive it forward. That's why we've been particularly active in the advanced therapy space, particularly active in the medical device outsourcing space. And of course, labs and diagnostics has been one of our main areas that we look at um, frequently too because of the strong tailwinds there. So the market dynamics are what leads things. And when we are out searching for companies, we're not just randomly trolling around. Um, we do market maps. So we're looking for the top 10 players in a particular market segment. And we are researching hundreds of companies in the background and we're contacting a smaller number of those. And out of that, a very small number pass that initial test of being interesting enough technologically wise uh, that we want to move to the next level. And that next level is uh, actually an assessment of the team because it is a relationship. It is a partnership. This is a, a five to eight year relationship uh, that we're getting into. Um, so not only do we have to see the scientific and technical expertise and something that's maybe a little differentiated with a company, but we need to see a team that has the passion to drive it forward, the ability to drive it forward, the open-mindedness to accept other people's opinions. Um, it's a partnership, but we, we are active. We, we don't just show up once a quarter and yell at people for missing their numbers. We're involved not in day-to-day -day operations, but we're involved in a lot of the decisions, a lot of the strategic direction, a lot of the planning, and we bring our expertise to the table. So if we have a great company in a great market, but with a founder that does not want to take any input from anyone else, that's probably a deal that we would walk away from. If we have a great company with a founder that is very willing to accept some advice and, um, and work together in a partnership, that's the best deal. And we have numerous examples of that. I think without exception, all of our founders and management team, that is one of the traits that they have, which is an, a, a, an ability and a willingness to work together and not want to control everything um, from, a, from a management standpoint. From a shareholder standpoint, again, we, we can control a company or we can do a minority investment. It does not change the way we interact with a management team. Um, it really is irrelevant to us what our, our shareholding is. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. So thanks for that, David. Kind of great to get that kind of insight into, uh, you know, what, what exactly you guys look for in an assessment tool. So to talk us through why companies choose Ampersand. So what is it about you guys, I suppose, in addition to your sector expertise, which I suspect is one of the key attributes, but what is it? Because I presume a lot of these founders and CEOs have multiple options on the table, say if it's an auction process or if they're being courted by other private equity companies or even potential trade and strategic buyers. So in your experience, what is it that tends to win the day for Ampersand and makes you know, these founders choose you guys over, over anyone else? Well, I'd like to say it's our sparkling personality and good looks and charm, but um, I think that's, that's just maybe a little part of it. Um, I, it. We never like to say that we are unique, Ampersand, right? We, we do think that we are uh, one of a few and quite special in terms of our sector expertise and knowledge. And that is really what carries the day. Um, founder entrepreneurs who are facing challenges with their businesses for driving growth, they want to see examples of where we have helped similar businesses execute the same plan uh, or similar plan. And our track record 
and our expertise are the are the things that are really get us in the door. Um, but after that, it does come down to are these individuals that we can work with together. We're doing that assessment of our management team, but our management teams are doing that assessment of us. This is a five to eight year relationship. And I think it does come down to at the end of the day, are, are these people that I feel that are being honest, uh, are being truthful, are being direct. Um, we at Ampersand have a list of our kind of core tenants that we, we fall back on. And one of them is respect for the entrepreneur and the other one is straight talk um and respect for the entrepreneur means that we do have an amazing amount of respect for the entrepreneur we're not coming in and telling them how to run their business or why they're doing it all wrong we're coming in to help them take the company to the next level and straight talk means that we don't varnish things we're not trying to you know, sweet talk things. We just are very direct, honest, and forthright. If we see something that we, we want to call out, we call it out. And we expect the same back from our management teams and our founder entrepreneurs. In Although I've said that our relationships are five to eight years in length, in reality, that is a very short period of time. And we don't have time to play cute or cover things up, or be nice, uh, or, you know, if, if we want to drive growth of a business and have a successful outcome at the end, we have a fairly short window of time to make that happen. And I think that's probably one thing that founder entrepreneurs uh, find a little bit surprising in, in the initial stages, but then grow to really respect and like that we don't sit around. We, we, we're quite hard drivers. We are quite impatient sometimes, um, but we're not, uh, we're not in the mode of, of not being helpful. Uh, if we see something that we want to take advantage of, whether it be a market opportunity, a new technology, an acquisition, um, we want to go for it and we want to go for it quickly. Um, we don't like long, dragged out, getting nowhere. Um, if we're going to do something, let's do it. So I think um, that impatience coupled with a direct mode of communication coupled with respect for the entrepreneur are key differentiators when you're looking for an investor. No, oh, I love that. And I suppose even just the manner in which you answered that question and the straight talking piece is fundamental to the way you communicate and, and kind of articulate that, which I think is good. I was at CPHI Worldwide uh, last week and met, I suppose uh, there was another P company that I bumped into kind of in the broad healthcare space. And I mentioned, oh, I, we work with a few companies that Ampersand is an investor. And what was fascinating was that person's reaction to you guys is a business. You know, the individual kind of said, oh, that, you know, was spoken very high terms about how great Ampersand are actually and the quality of the investments you guys have made. So, I'd love to give our listeners a few examples of some of the the kind of uh, the, the high profile acquisitions and deals you've done that you're able to to talk about. I appreciate you can't talk about anything that's under CDA or, or being you know, uh, done right now, but certainly some of the ones that come to mind from my example, uh, you know, that you know from research. Obviously, you guys were involved as, as an early stage investor for Brahma Bio that sold to Thermo for a huge amount of money, and uh, more more recently, uh, Viblogics in Aranta to Resi Farm. And so, those are two very very high profile, I would say, kind of deals in the space. Um, so, I'd love you to just talk us through. You know, I, I appreciate you can't give us specifics on both of the deals, but just how they deals like that have helped, I suppose, highlight the credibility and track record and expertise of, of Ampersand in the space, which I think have really been a, a huge halo effect on on the success that you guys have, have had as a team. Yeah, and you, you mentioned a few of those ones that I've been involved with on the advanced therapy site, which again has been uh, a very nice area for us and continues to be a very nice area because of the tailwinds in those markets and some of the really cutting edge science that's going on in cell gene and expanded into mRNA therapies, an area that we 
we still really like and we still think has lots of potential. Um, but maybe hitting on that first one that you mentioned, which was was Brammer Bio, um, that started off as, as Florida Biologics. It actually started as a department within the University of Florida. And I think the key thing with, with that transaction, it, it did end up with a, a very nice outcome uh, for all involved um, uh, when we actually sold it. But it was it wasn't a straight path. Um, there were lots of turns along the way of carving that out from the university, um, who were a fantastic partner. Um, the University of Florida and the tech transfer office that we worked with there very, again, shared the same sort of uh, approach that we share, right, which is they were very direct. They knew what they wanted. Um, they were very open and open to ideas. Uh, they weren't trying to maximize uh, dollars. Uh, they were focused in on some other things that were very important, including investment into the local community and creating jobs in the greater Gainesville area. And we could commit to that too. And I think that's what differentiated us as an investor in that situation, that we were very interested in having a successful investment, but we were also interested in how we could build something that the local community and the employees would be very proud of. Um, I had the opportunity to be in Gainesville about a month ago and drove by the, the old Florida Biologics site, now Brammer Bio, now Thermo Fisher. Um, it is thriving. They've taken over most of the office park that they're in. Um, and it's one of the, the, the major biopharma employers in the area. And that made me very, very proud, right, that we managed to make an investment into a company and build it and maintain its local community uh, roots. Um, with, with Florida Biologics, we, we'd like to say that it's Ampersand's track record that, that helps us get other deals. But really, it's not just Ampersand's track record. It's Ampersand plus the management teams that we either invest in or recruit in that help drive the businesses. And with Florida Biologics, the the partnership that Ampersand formed with, with Mark Bamforth uh, to form Brammer Bio or to merge into Mark's company, Brammer Bio, really was the key pivot point of taking that business to the next level. The scientific expertise that Richard Snyder, the founder of Florida Biologics, had accumulated and built was very significant, but it needed uh, professional business leadership to take it to the next level. And that's what Mark and his team brought to the table that really accelerated that that growth plan. And of course, the market helped. There were very strong tailwinds in gene therapy at that point in time, uh, 2015 uh, through to 2019, when we exited the business to Thermo. Uh, and that drove an incredible amount of interest uh, in the business as we developed with clients uh, greater manufacturing capabilities and grew that business up to eventually the exit to, to Thermo Fisher in early 2019. Um, I think what's important with, with that transaction was that we, we built um, a company that started with about 100 employees in Florida and, and about 50 to 60,000 square feet of manufacturing capacity. And when we exited the business to Thermo, we had over 700 employees. We had about 250,000 square feet of manufacturing capacity. And arguably could say we were the leader, if not one of the top two leaders focused in on gene therapy contract manufacturing, which was really enabling these therapies to get to market uh, in the timeline that the developers wanted and that the patients wanted. And that was the goal. Um, the goal was to make sure that these therapies that could change people's lives and save people's lives could make it to market. And Mark Bamforth and the team at Brammer made sure that that was communicated to all employees, that we thought about what the ultimate goal here was. The ultimate goal was not to make money um, and manufacture product. The ultimate goal was to help patients with very debilitating diseases. Um, and we had many corporate meetings where 
that was one of the first things that was discussed, how we have managed to impact individuals out there. And sometimes I think people think of private equity as only being focused on the dollars. Don't get me wrong. We're very focused on making sure our dollar is goes the right way and making sure we get a return on investment. But we are very cognizant of the impact that we're having in the broader healthcare realm as well. And I think that when we communicate that to founder entrepreneurs, if usually they are very open to that because they that's what got them into the business to start with. Um, and if we all make a little bit of money along the way, uh, I think that's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's great to hear. And yeah, thanks for giving us a bit of an insight into that. I suppose one of the most high. I'd say probably the highest profile transaction in this space for for many years. And obviously, you were very much in the midst of it as well. I, I noticed, David, that obviously as part of your role, you sit on several boards. You take several board positions in different types of uh, contract service organizations, predominantly in the advanced therapy space. Talk us through what that role entails and also just how you have evolved and improved over the years. I'm guessing when you first started on in your first board position between where you are now, love you to talk about things that you've learned in the way that you approach them and in kind of uh, you know, the, the, the manner in which you deal with management teams now and how that's different from, say, uh, a few years ago. But before you talk about that, you know, tell us a bit about the roles that you the board positions that you have at the minute. Yeah, so I'm on the on the board of uh, a, a few of our investments. Um, uh, like you mentioned, in, in the advanced therapy space with Janison, which is a lentiviral vector CDMO based in Fishers, Indiana. Uh, Vernal, which is an mRNA business based up in uh, Vermont. And then a, a couple of others that are outside of advanced therapies, but contributing in some way. Uh, Stage Bio, which is a histopathology lab headquartered in Mount Jackson, Virginia. Um, and a new one for us, which is Anabios, which is a, a tissue procurement and analysis service business based in San Diego. Um, and as part of the board role, um, it, it really is to provide advice to mentor and uh, to help drive the companies forward to hit their goals. Um, one of the things that I've benefited from is that Ampersand was founded in the late 80s. So we've been around for a long time. And the all of the individuals that preceded me at Ampersand and that I had the opportunity to work with during my first few years at Ampersand, amazing wealth of knowledge and experience. And I learned from those individuals, sitting in board meetings with them, um, watching how they interacted with founder entrepreneurs, observing the tools that they developed to help drive things forward. And sometimes that that history um, is overlooked, but that's been a major driver of, I think, the success of Ampersand is that we can look back at 30 years and over 100 portfolio companies, and we've made mistakes along the way, but we've learned from those mistakes. And I think that's something that's very important if an invest, uh, an entrepreneur or founder is looking at an investor uh, is not just their near-term track record, but what is their longer-term track record and what is that, that knowledge base that they can tap into. And I think the, the key thing with our, our board seats is that we bring a lot of that knowledge to bear, but we also bring a lot of tools that have been developed over many years. For example, help setting objectives for the companies, setting up financial reporting and dashboards, setting up templates for everything from HR and benefits to IT systems to insurance, all of the little things that uh, all contribute to the smooth running of a business. And we are not ashamed to go back into our old files and pull out templates or ideas that we've learned along the way and bring them to bear. And back to my earlier comment of our impatience sometimes, it, it really helps with that impatience if we can show a management team how they can cut a corner. Um, rather than having them reinvent the wheel, 
we can say to them, listen, we've experienced this eight different times. Seven of them went wrong. One of them went right. So guess which one we're going to do here? We're going to do the one that went right. So let's deploy this technique to address this issue. And we encourage that at the board level. As, as Ampersand uh, members of boards, we, we help management teams uh, drive the business and provide them with tools. We also facilitate the interaction between our CEOs, our CFOs, our heads of quality. Um, it's, a, it's a family. And if we've got um, someone that's implementing a QMS system at one company, and we have a new investment that's thinking about putting in a QMS system, we get the two of them talking so that we can cut some corners and uh, not make the same mistakes and really drive the business forward much faster than if we let every company reinvent the wheel. So I think that's one of the key success factors that, that really augments our track record of, of finding and building successful companies it's the knowledge base that we can pull from that track record to apply to all of these new investments. That's great. And I think it's really useful for people to get that kind of insight into what you guys bring to the table, but what a board position entails. In the final question in this particular section, before we kind of move on to, to the future, in your experience, what are the main blockers from a successful investment? I'm sure there's lots of reasons why investments don't go to plan, but obviously you guys have to engage very early on and get the management team involved. But you know, we're kind of talking about the good, bad, and the ugly of investments that you guys may have been involved in at Ampersand. Are there any specific kind of traits that you see in organizations, say post-investment, that is that are a bit of a red flag or that tend to hinder the growth of, of, of the company? I think that the, the major red flag that we see a lot is, especially with founder entrepreneurs, is their hesitancy to, to take a risk. They've taken a big risk by setting up the company and usually a lot of their net worth is held within that company. And by their nature, they, they want to protect that. And if you overprotect it too much, you can actually hinder growth. You won't take those risks. And I'll give you one example. Um, with Brammer, for example, we had an opportunity to move into Biogen's facility in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I remember we got the phone calls and we discussed it. And the question was, should we bite off this facility in Cambridge? It's not what we planned. It comes with, I think, 130 people. Uh, it was quite expensive rent in Kendall Square in Cambridge, Mass. Um, so it was a significant financial burn that we would take on. And the initial phone call, we kind of laughed it off and said, that's crazy. That's a crazy idea. It's way too risky. And then we slept on it, we reconvened, we did a little bit of analysis and we came back and said, actually, it might make sense. And that was a key moment in, in accelerating the business plan of taking that risk to shave about nine months off of our build to build GMP, commercial GMP, AAV vector manufacturing capabilities, which in hindsight, was a critical moment because that made us the first to market with that scale of capacity and clients were beating down our door. But it's an example of where if that was just a founder entrepreneur, they'd probably sit there and go, I can't do that. That's too much of a risk. If this goes wrong, I lose everything. And as a private equity investor, we're not reckless. We're not taking risks for just risk sake, but we, we try to do the analysis to understand what the risks benefits are. And we push things a little, maybe a little faster and um, a little more riskier than an entrepreneur would on their own. And that's our job at the board level, right? Which is to, to look at ideas that entrepreneurs have and to say to them, if, if you weren't worried about where the money's coming from, or you weren't worried about what happens if it goes wrong? What would you do? How would you do it? 
and really trying to have them think through these things. Because at the end of the day, yeah, it's risky. And, you know, there's always a danger that something could go wrong. But there's always the, the benefit or the opportunity that something might go right. Um, and even if it doesn't go perfectly right, usually it will create other opportunities that you can then take advantage of. So I think that's the biggest thing that, you know, the entrepreneurs have to get over is that you've got a partner now and we're in this together and we can push the envelope a little bit more and maybe look at things that were, were outside of the box for you, but together we can really attack it. And based on our track record, we, we kind of know the cheat sheet of why we can give it a good chance of success. Um, whereas on your own, you probably either not do it or you would do it and you might hit a few more speed bumps, but we know where, where the speed bumps are um, and we can help you navigate through them. So I think, I think that's one of the key things that, that we really like to work with uh, entrepreneurs on. If we come across an entrepreneur or a founder or management team that just says no to everything, then that's usually the biggest red flag. Um, we can't drive growth. Um, we can't transform businesses. Uh, we can't take them to the next level if someone's just going to dig their heels in and say no to all of the ideas. Um, we, we Ampersand operates at, in growth equity with high growth businesses that need to be dynamic, not just set it and let it run the same way it's been run for the last 20 years. That's There's plenty of investors that do those types of investments and they're very good at those and they're very successful with them, but that's a very different model where we are looking for top line growth being one of the most important factors that we want to drive. Mm -hmm. It's a really fantastic anecdote. Thanks for sharing. I, I love the kind of irony, as you mentioned out, you know, these entrepreneurs that start their businesses, risk everything, continue to risk and roll the dice. And then at some point become a bit more risk averse because they've got too much to lose. Um, I remember when we did our private equity deal, there was a phrase I came across that was kind of, you've now, when it gets to the point where you've got uh, more to lose than to gain, <laughs> that's where you you start kind of ending up in that that situation. But I thought that was a great example as well. We've got a couple of minutes left, so I just wanted to talk about the future. And you know, I was going to ask you uh, about where do you see the market going? Obviously, you're very involved in advanced therapies, as you mentioned. I'm sure you can't tell us exactly where you're going to invest in the future, but you know, rather than asking where the market's going, I'm guessing wherever you invest or plan to invest is probably going to be in line with where the tailwinds are going to go. And, and obviously specifically with the context of the biotech slowdown we're seeing at the minute, we'd love you to just give your perspective on, on where you think the growth will come from. Where we're deploying the capital is uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's in our core sec segments. Um, we are, we are very excited by the opportunities that we see in our core segments. And particularly when I look at the areas where I spend a lot of my time in advanced therapies and CDMOs, yeah, the biotech market has been hammered recently. Um, and there are some, uh, biotechs, biopharmas that are going to struggle because the fundraising environment, who knows when that window is going to open again. Um, and I think we've got to focus, they have to focus on their primary candidates, molecules that they want to drive through uh, the clinic. Um, and therefore, there's been a slowdown on some of those pipeline products. And that does impact our businesses, um, especially if we've got businesses in, in drug discovery, where some of those products are not going to be advanced because of capital issues. Um, but so far, we have not seen a dramatic slowdown. Uh, I think things have sort of bottomed out, but all of our companies are exhibiting fairly decent growth and tailwinds because we're in outsourced services. And when the markets are tight and the biotechs can't afford to do things in-house, they look to outsource them. And our service providers in our portfolio provide these very valuable services um, at a very cost-effective way to the biopharmas. Um, on the manufacturing front, on the CDMO front, which I know you guys have a deep expertise in as well, and you're probably seeing the same things that we are, 
we're seeing opportunities where the biopharmas, particularly those that have spent invested money to build their own facilities, but are now looking at a slightly curtailed or diminished product pipeline, they're looking to divest those facilities because uh, they, they really are not cost effective to, to have your own in-house manufacturing. So therefore, we, we, we hate to say that we're taking advantage of the capital markets and, and what's happening to biopharma, but we, we do see opportunities there where we as expertise in building CDMOs can perhaps uh, take on some of these facilities that are no longer required by small biotechs and make them available to a broader section of the universe by turning them into CDMOs. So I, I guess, um, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Um, so we're, we're looking for opportunities where we can pivot and adjust to the macroeconomic climate and still enable biotech and pharma and med device to, to be very cost effective and drive their products through the clinic and onto the market um, by taking advantage of service providers that you know, can diversify the cost base a little bit. Uh, so I think that's, that's going to be a key area for, for, for new investments is to look for, for those hidden opportunities that can still advance the ball. Well, I was just going to say, sorry to interrupt, David, what a, what a great place to probably end the conversation, a real kind of positive note for our listeners in the outsourcing space in terms of where you expect the market to go obviously the confidence in ampersand and where you guys invest and also you know the kind of silver lining around some of the biotech pain uh, that it actually could those facilities could be repurposed to assist a wider market which is which is obviously great david honestly i i'm sure we could have gone on for another two hours i certainly could have uh, but i'm very conscious of your time and and also just i wanted to give our listeners a bit of a soundbite of some of the insight into the world of obviously one of the top top private equity companies in our space so we really know how valuable your time is and i appreciate it very much that you could you could be a guest on molecule to market roman i really enjoyed the discussion i appreciate you having the patience to to, to give me some time to get my act together to do this but uh, it's been great chatting with you and um i appreciate all the the, the work that you guys do as well in this space because it's a it's a very active space and I think we all have something to contribute to it. Thank you, David. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.